0: The story is told of two congregations that were located only a few small blocks uh, from each other in a very small community, a very small town. They got to talking they thought it might be better for them if they would merge and become one united, uh, larger, and maybe more effective body than two very small struggling churches. They thought that was a good idea, but they were unable to pull it off. And the problem was they could not agree on how they would recite the Lord's Prayer. And one group preferred, forgive us our trespasses, and the other group demanded, forgive us our debts." And so the no- local newspaper reported, one church went back to its trespasses, and the other returned to its debts. <laughs> in Romans chapter 15, we have outlined for us in verses 1 through 13, the road to glory, the road to God's glory in his church. And churches have been known to, to divide over the smallest matters. And, and, uh, and we saw in Romans 15, verse 1 through 7, that this road to glory is a road in which the self-life must die. It is the Calvary road. It is where we cannot live as, 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 uh, as, as, as people like Diotrephes, later on in the later uh, letters of, of, of John, who the, John describes wanted to have the preeminence in the church. But we must be people who, like John the Baptist, said, he must increase, but I must decrease. <clears throat> in this road to glory, we saw several things here. We saw that it is a cross-carrying road. We ought to bear the infirmities of the week. We ought not to please ourselves. We ought to please our neighbor for his good edification. So we're to put others first. We're to put ourselves last. And we're to serve others. We're to put ourselves out to help others in our church. And then we saw that it is a Christ aligning road, a Christ aligning road where the Old Testament in Psalm 69 is quoted, where Christ pursued his father's will for us. He had a passion for the zeal. Uh, He had a zeal for, for, for the Lord's house. He pursued his father's will for us. And then he passed his word to us, the scriptures that we might have hope Then we saw, thirdly, that it is a Christ-embracing road. This God of endurance and encouragement wants us to be like-minded one toward another, and he says, according to Christ Jesus. So, a harmony in a church body means accepting His grace. The very moment we think we deserve God's grace, and that God is obligated to give us His grace, is the moment that harmony just unravels. Harmony means accepting His grace and it means abiding in His goodness. When we are abiding in Him and we are in tune with Him, we are in line with a vine, the branches uh, will all be in tune. And fourthly, we saw in verse uh, 6 and 7 that it is a Christ glorifying road here's the product that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify god even the father of our lord jesus christ verse six and verse seven wherefore welcome or receive ye one another as christ also received us to the glory of god so our worship together displays his glory and our welcoming together displays his glory now in this book of romans paul has begun with two things in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. And then he says the part we left off, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, or the Gentile, or the nations. He also includes, after that, a talk about God's glory, and how when we exchange God's glory for the glory of something that God has even given us, a gift of God, that life unravels. And that glorying God begins with a thankful heart in Romans chapter 1. And those are the two things he's going to come back to. That the gospel is the power of God and the salvation, the Jew first, and to the Greek. Everyone that believes. And the glory of God and its preeminence. I believe uh, Romans chapter 14 through chapter 15 verse 13 is summed up in chapter 15 verse 7. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The point of everything that Paul has said is summed up in that verse. And Paul wants the Roman church to welcome one another, to receive them just as Christ had welcomed them through the cross. Because this brings God glory. This shows his wisdom through the church. This shows his multifaceted grace through the church. This shows His worth. His eternal beauty. His value to the universe. You ever thought about it in that way? That your love to the person sitting next to you. Or, it, or a few pews away from you. You know that person. Displays the glory of God to the whole universe. The watching universe. And in verses 7-13. through 13, Paul wants to open us up to the panorama of God's redemption in Christ. Someone named Antoine de Saint-Experie says, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather the wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Get the connection there? Yearn for the vast and endless sea then the ship's going to follow. That's your vehicle there. And that's what Paul is doing here. Now, in verses 1 through 6, he's given us commands. He says, Do this, act this way. But God always gives commands in accordance with what he has provided his provision, his grace. And so he is going to open up to us a, a beautiful view of God's redemptive plan in Christ through the scripture in verses 18 through 13. He's going to show the theological reasons why the church is to welcome those who God has welcomed by clearly showing that Christ has acted decisively to bring God's blessings to all cultures to fulfill prophecy and scripture. And Paul is broadening their vision of the church by laying out what God is doing in the word so that the strong and the weak welcome each other. He is putting their dividing lines they have drawn up against each other and he's showing how insignificant they are against the panorama of the unfolding story of redemption. So in this passage, he's not just telling us, stop being cranky, stop being stuffy, love each other. He's not just doing that. He is opening up the beauty of the gracious mercy of God's plan in Christ for the nation's. And it is dazzling. But I believe in this passage, what the Spirit wants us to see is that our opinions in the church, while it's okay to have them, they need to be set against a vast panorama of God's magnificent plan in Christ to purchase worshipers so that we will be supremely loyal to His mission. You may remember in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, verse 2 here, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. There's a very basic principle there. When God blesses you, He blesses you to, so that you are a blessing. Right, verse three, he tells how Abraham's offspring, making his name great, having a great nation, would be a blessing. He says, "And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." Now, in Romans chapter fifteen and verse eight, Paul says. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. He was a minister to the Jews for the truth of God. To confirm the promises, to fulfill the promises, the idea, made unto the fathers. I want you to see this morning that this here is a priority. This is Israel's priority here. Remember, he said in Romans 16, uh, the, uh, 116, the gospel was to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that was how Jesus worked his ministry, wasn't it? Uh, the supreme example of ministry was is Jesus Christ. And he came, first of all, to minister to the Jews, but for this purpose, so that through Israel, he might minister to the Gentiles. And that was the principle that was followed in the earthly ministry of Christ and even in the early ministry of the church. When Jesus began his ministry, it was only to the people of Israel. Uh, when he sent out the apostles on their first evangelistic mission there in the Gospels, he says, he tells them, go not into the way of the Gentiles in any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Um, you remember when the Gentile woman came to him and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and Jesus says, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she got a hold of God's grace and she said, but even the dogs, right, eat the crumbs. From the table. But Jesus' ministry was primarily to Israel, wasn't it? There were, uh, there were glimpses of what he was going to do here after his ascension. Uh, all scattered throughout the Gospels. You think of the Samaritan woman. You think of the ten lepers that came. And the one that came back and thanked them was a what? A Samaritan, etc. So uh, there were there are ways of the gospels getting to the Gentiles, but he focused on Israel here. And so Paul says, "I say that Jesus was a minister. Jesus Messiah was a minister for the circumcision, for the truth of God. Confirm the promises made unto the fathers. What was the promise? The promise made unto the fathers was that the Messiah would come through Abraham's line, narrowed down through the line of Judah, narrowed down through the house of David. Jesus came, born a Jew." Because through the Jews, he would send the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. Think about the first Christians in Acts. Uh, there, They were all uh, um, gathered there for the, for the Feast of Pentecost. And when the Spirit comes down, Peter preaches. And if they were coming to the Feast of Pentecost, you can be sure that the majority of them were Jewish believers. And 3,000 were saved. Salvation is of the Jews, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman in John 4.22. So there's a priority in the ministry here. But it gets beyond that. Israel's priority. There is also an international provision. Look what he says here. Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers in verse 9 and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now in John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says, and other sheep, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, believe was referring to Gentiles, the nations. Them also must I bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Remember that veil in that temple was torn in two at the cross of Jesus Christ at His death. Jesus had come, He had dismantled the barrier, He brings the Gentiles into the people of God through the gospel. His ministry didn't end with the Jews. It continues with Israel. But it provided the beachhead for bringing the other, the other nations into the fold. So that's what Paul is saying here. There is an international provision. He wants the nations, all the nations, not only Israel, but Israel with the nations in his fold. And now he's going to quote from three sections of the Jewish Old Testament. He's going to quote the Jewish uh, scriptures divided into three sections. The Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. He's going to quote from all three of those sections here to prove his argument here. Now remember... um, it seems to be, as we reconstruct the argument here in Romans 14-15, that uh, there were Jewish brothers that seemed to be the weaker brothers, and they were Jew- uh, Gentile brothers, maybe also included uh, Jews, we don't know, that were the stronger brothers. but We see some of the, some of the language they're talking about, clean and unclean things, etc., that make us think there were some uh, um, uh, ethnic divisions there because of uh, the way they had been uh, uh, raised and grown up. But Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is going to show us those barriers are dismantled. Yes, you are still Jewish in your ethnicity. God has a special plan for Israel. But in the church, you're one new man. And there are four quotes from the Old Testament he's going to use to prove this. First of all, I'd like you to notice in verse 9, he says, As it is written... As it is written. So he's making the argument that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. God has made an international provision. As it is written. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. That's a quotation from 2 Samuel chapter 22. And if you wouldn't mind turning over there with me to see the context of this. I think it will open your eyes here to what Paul is saying. Second Samuel chapter 22. Now, 2 Samuel 22 is a a psalm of praise that is recorded in Samuel. It is also duplicated in Psalm 18 for reference here. But in 2 Samuel chapter 22, we have the situation uh, uh, told us why uh, David is singing a psalm of praise. 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 50 is the quote. Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, the Gentiles, the nations, the pagans, and I will sing praises unto thy name. You might wonder, well, why, what is this? Where does this fit in here with the story? Well, if you look in chapter one, chapter twenty-one, excuse me, of Second Samuel and verse fifteen, you see that David had had war with the Philistines. This seems to be near the uh, near the end of, of David's life. Here it says in. Uh, 2 Samuel 21.15 Moreover the Philistines had yet war again with Israel and David went down and into servants with him and fought against the Philistines and David waxed faint and some of these Philistines were, were some of the descendants and relatives of Goliath that he had slain as a boy so he's like he's finishing up uh, the, un, the unfinished parts here and then if you look in 2 Samuel 21 uh, and verse 22 it says these four were born to the giant and Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hands of his servants. In verse, chapter 22 and verse 1, David said, Spake unto the Lord the words of this song and the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. So he's thinking back on his accomplishments. His, uh, how God had rescued him from Saul as Saul had hunted him. And also how um, uh, God had given him this victory here among the Gentiles, the Philistines, who were not God's people. So God had given David victory of the Philistines, the Gentile nations in warfare. Um, and now David could reign in victory over these nations. And his reign had extended now to not only include his own people, the twelve tribes of Israel, but also the nations, the Philistine nations. And what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 15... He's drawing a parallel and he quotes this verse to show us that Christ through his warfare against sin and death and the devil has brought believing Gentiles, the nations in the obedience of the faith among his people from under the rule of sin to the rule of grace and into his kingdom. And the result is, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 9, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. David said that. And Paul is saying, we can say that to see that spiritually fulfilled. There is a king who has finished the work. He has conquered. The Jews are, can now in the church glorify God among the Gentiles. Now that didn't happen in Israel, right? There's a separate place for Gentiles, even proselytes, believing Gentiles, and those who weren't believing had no place in Israel, right? The Jews glorify God in the, among the Gentiles. Uh, the king has finished his work, he has conquered. And so we see that there is an international provision, there is a Gentile inclusion. A Gentile inclusion. The king has conquered. He has conquered. He has conquered. He has finished the work to make it possible for the nations to come in. Then he quotes again in Romans chapter 15 and verse 10 it says, And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. There's a progression here. First it was the Jews could glorify God among the Gentiles. Now it says what? The Gentiles are rejoicing with his people. You see the progression there? And this passage is stressing a note of joy. This is a quotation from Deuteronomy 32, 43. And in this song in Deuteronomy, Moses is calling on the nations to join in happy praise of God on account of his greatness and defeat of all his enemies as Israel enters the promised land. And again, Yahweh, Jehovah, has conquered His enemies. He has subdued the pagan nations. But now Israel isn't just worshiping God with the Gentiles around them. Notice what happens. Now the nations are praising God with Israel. And Paul is saying, so it is with the church. So it is with the church. What the Old Testament commands the nations to do, they, through the gospel, can now do in Christ's body, his precious bride, the church, through his mercy to them in the gospel. They are now joining believing Israelites in the church, in these New Testament churches, in praise of God. Again, he saith, rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. So, I believe the second thing we can see about this king who has uh, uh, made this Gentile inclusion, this international provision, is that he is a king who is connected. He is connected people. Not just Jews glorifying God among the Gentiles, but the Gentiles rejoicing with the Jews, and they will be glad and rejoice in his wonderful mercy to them. He is a king who is connected. He brought Jew and Gentile together. But there's a third quotation. He says in verse verse 11 and again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him or praise, exalt him, all ye people. That's a quote from one of the shortest Psalms in the New Testament, Psalm 117. And if you wouldn't mind turning over there for, for this one, I think you'll see some context that will be very helpful. It's only two verses. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. There's the Gentiles. Command, praise the Lord, all the nations of Gentiles. Praise Him, all ye people. So the world, praise God, praise Jehovah, praise Yahweh. Verse two, for His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. What's interesting about this one is. Um, uh, uh, it is the nations and the people of God. The nations in verse 1, all ye nations, praise him, all ye people. Verse 2 is merciful kindness is great toward us. Now, who's us? The person who's writing it, right? Perhaps David. Jews here. So it is the nations and the people of God simply told the praise Yahweh. Now, the first quotation says, Jews, you're going to praise God. Among the Gentiles, so the Gentiles in your midst. The second one tells us that the Gentiles are going to rejoice with the people of God, so the other side of it. This third one puts them together. Puts them together here. This is a king who is cherished. He is a king who is cherished. You see, it is the nations who are told to praise God. Why? For his merciful kindness is great toward us. Is there any other way that God's merciful kindness uh, uh, can, be, can be shown more clearly than the cross, than the gospel? The truth of the Lord endures forever. They are to cherish the Lord for His mercy and truth shown toward them. This was in God's mind since the beginning. That God would bring people from every nation into His courts to the praise of the glory of His grace. When He calls out Paul and calls him the apostle to the Gentiles, He tells them that He is calling out through Paul a people for the sake of His name. That those who are bought with the precious blood of Christ would treasure Him would pray, praise, would laud, would exalt, would glory in Him, would boast in Him for His majestic kindness to them, to make them His children. Though once enemies. So this is a international provision because of a king who is cherished. A king who is cherished. Back in... Romans 15 you might want to be turning to Isaiah chapter 11 let me just read Romans 15 verse 12 here's the final and fourth quote and again Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles and him shall the Gentiles trust now if you look at Isaiah chapter 11 verses 9 through 12 where it's very obvious this is a, uh, a messianic prophecy it says in Verse one of Isaiah there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow forth out of its roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, he be spirit filled. And then in verse nine, it says B for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, an ensign or a signal for the people to which shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against a second time to recover the remnant of his people. And he talks about the remnant left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Paphros, from Cush, from Elam, Shinar, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign, a signal for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah on the four corners of the earth. And And Paul is arguing here that we have a king who is crowned. A king who is crowned. That is why there is international provision. This root of Jesse was a signal, an ensign to the Jewish people and the one who the nations would inquire of or see and put their trust in. So when he says here, uh, there shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles and him shall the Gentiles trust. In Romans 15. What he's saying is the nations can participate in unified praise to God for his gracious plan in Christ Because of a Jewish Messiah. A Jewish Messiah. A Messiah who has risen to reign not over Israel, but over the nations. He is the Jewish King who has brought Jew and Gentile representatives from every nation into his fold as the great shepherd of the sheep, the overseer of the reward of his inheritance, the nations. So what does this matter? What does this matter? Well, understanding the panorama of the plan of God should cause His church to do something. It should just sit up here swimming around. It should cause us to do something. It should cause us to rejoice and pray for the fullness of God in us. The fullness of God in us. You see... If this is the God, if this is the glorious God whom the Gentiles could trust, who the nations could set their firm hope in, then this is the gracious, wise God we can pray to for a hope that can fill us all and help us solve our differences. A hope of this one new man, not bound up with our opinions and preferences that change generation to generation and culture to culture, but built on the eternal hope of God. Of the new people of God, the church, the one new man, Ephesians says. Multicultural, multi generations who praise God for his eternal truth with a united voice. There is an international provision. But go back to Romans 15 because Paul knows we need prayer for this. And so, in Romans chapter 15. He says, in verse 13, Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope, the power of the Holy Ghost, and I myself also persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish, that's a word that we use today in Christian counseling. Admonish one another. You're able to admonish one another because of these truths. So verse 13, He gives us an inspired purpose. Because of these truths, He has laid out, here is what God wants to do. He wants to fill you with Himself. He wants to fill you with Himself. Now this is a prayer that Paul has repeated two times in the book of Ephesians, where he lays out the glory of the church. If you turn me to Ephesians chapter 1... There are two prayers in the book of Ephesians the book revolves around sums up the purpose of the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1 verse 17 Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that the God of our Father the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and a knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us were to believe according to the working of His mighty power. Which He wrought in Christ whom He raised from the dead. And set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church. Which is His body, the fullness of him that fills all in all chapter 3 verse 14 paul says for this cause i bow my knees unto the father of our lord jesus christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, known to Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And be not drunk with wine or is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The purpose in all of this, to bring up the glories of the... Paul, Paul, I mean, he has stretched it here. He has talked about the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of God's love, and including the Gentiles. Now Paul says the purpose of this is so that you are filled by the God of hope. The God of hope, back in Romans 15. The God of hope is to fill you. He's to fill you with what? He's to fill you with praise in Him. All right, He says, fill you with all joy. Find your joy in Him and what He has done. That reminds me of chapter 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's God's purpose here. Fill you with praise in Him and fill you, He says, of peace in him. He says, peace and believing. Peace and believing. So Paul's prayer is that we are filled by the God we can set our hope on. Not our wish on. Our rock solid hope on. And secondly, we are filled to gush with hope. Look in Romans 15 again in verse 13. That ye may abound in hope. Abound. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Abounding. In other words, there's a flourishing here that's supposed to happen in our lives through the God who fills us of praising Him and peace in Him, joy and peace, were to gush over as a reservoir with hope, abound in hope. Notice, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe as we sum up this morning here if we begin to get a glimpse of the vast glory of God, we'll begin to see, I believe, that many of our conflicts, not all of them, but many of our conflicts, when they are based in the self-life, are like two ants arguing over which one is taller standing next to Mount Everest. It's ridiculous, isn't it? The unity of God's servants is so much esteemed and treasured and prized by God that He will not have His glory sounded forth amidst discords and contentions. Many times we can quibble over uh, differences of opinion, many of them so small, where the vastness of Almighty God soars into the heavens and we are totally missing the breadth and length and height and depth of what God has done in redemption we need to stop looking at one another uh, uh, relative to ourselves, or even better, stop looking in the mirror sometimes and turn our eyes to the beauty and the loveliness of Jesus Christ and His Word and His plan for the nations. And we need to stop telling people that the Gospel is made for our felt needs so we feel better and Jesus Christ solves all of our problems, but rather tell them they were made for the soul-satisfying glory of God in the Gospel. We have the greatest news in the world that has been given by the king of the universe. But this news starts with the most terrifying news in the world. That we have fallen under the condemnation of our creator. And God is bound by his own righteous character. To preserve the worth of his glory. By pouring out his wrath on the sin that starts with an unthankful heart. But the good news is. There is an unchanging truth which must be told to ourselves again and again. Must be told to each other again and again. Must be told to our neighbors. Must be told to the nations again and again. That God has finished a way to satisfy the demands of His righteousness. Without condemning the whole human race. We're condemned already. He has taken upon Himself apart from any merit in us to accomplish our salvation. And the wisdom of God has formed a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the righteousness of God. And what is this wisdom? It is Jesus Christ risen and ascended after His death on the cross in our place. Jesus Christ, the Son of God crucified, is this wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the way by which the love of God can save sinners from the wrath of God and uphold the demands of the righteousness of God. Jonathan Edwards wrote a little pamphlet where he tries to lay out the goal for which God created the world. And the end, this point is probably what you could guess. It's for God created it for his glory. But he says this, the end or the goal is, first, that the glory of God would be magnified in the universe. And second, that Christ ransomed people from all times and all nations would rejoice in God above all things. Ladies and gentlemen, you will do more for the glory of God according to Romans 14 through fifteen thirteen. You will do more for the glory of God when you make much of Him and not yourself. down to it here. I believe Romans 15:7 through13 teaches us that we when we view our personal opinions, the petty things, against the panorama of God's magnificent plan in Christ to purchase worshipers, the Father is seeking worshipers, he tells that Samaritan woman. and all of that got revealed in the book of Acts. We will be supremely loyal to his mission. Supremely loyal to him and his mission. Rather than what little old James thinks. His word. Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God.